recently one of our missionary friends was traveling and visiting here from India. And so we hosted him at our home for dinner. Now we ordered the Indian food because we just didn't have time to make all of the preparations. But I, of course, helped to get it all on the table and laid out nicely and everybody their plates and silverware and drinks and everything like that. And while we were eating our dinner, we were hearing just amazing stories of some of the the things that the Lord is doing in India. And at the end of the dinner, everybody had kind of cleaned their plates. And, you know, most people who are from India grew up eating without silverware and just eating with their hand. So my husband, our family members that were there and our guests were all eating with their hand. And I noticed as everybody finished up, our guest was sitting there with his elbow resting on the table and his hand still covered in yogurt. And he was kind of pinned in on all sides by the people sitting around him. And everybody was still deeply engaged in conversation as now like four, five, six minutes pass. And he's just sitting there with his hand uh, kind of up in the air resting on the table. And so finally, I was like, I don't think they're going to let him get up and go to the bathroom and wash. And so I did what I saw others do in India. And I just got a small, a small bowl of water and a dishcloth. And I just quietly went and set it next to him so that he could wash his hand at the table. Well, it took like a second. Then he looked out and saw what I was doing. And he was like, oh my goodness, Diana, you're giving me a bowl. I forget what he called it to wash my hands right here at the table. I feel like I'm in India. This is amazing. How did you know to do that? When I go back to India, I am going to tell everybody about this. And, you know, I have been in this family now. I think we're coming up on our seven year wedding anniversary. So about eight years of learning different Indian and Eastern traditions and hospitality. And so me, for me, it was kind of a proud full circle moment because I was like, I'm learning because I have to tell you, I see my sisters-in-law, um, our Indian family are the most gracious hosts, or even if they're at my house, they'll see uh, someone's water is low. They'll see that someone is pinned in at the table and can't get more rice or food or whatever it might be. They are always offering to help. And I think it's really beautiful. Now I was raised to be helpful, like clear the table at the end of a meal. Or I remember when we would have like gatherings in the church social hall, my mom would have myself and my sister go around and like pick up dessert plates and, you know, things like that to be polite. But my experience with my Indian family is that they take hospitality to a whole other level. And so today I want to talk about the story of Mary and Martha. And some of us are familiar with it. Uh, you know, Jesus is passing through, they prepare a big meal and here's Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus while Martha is working her tail off, trying to be a good host and do what would have been expected of her at the time. And in fact, some of what I'm going to share today comes from this book, Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus. We're actually doing it as our book club this spring in my membership community called My Small Group. And really quickly, I just want to invite you in because membership closes in less than a week now on May 15th. And the thing that I love so much about our group is sometimes we just need more people in our lives who are like-minded, 
who are encouraging us in our faith. You know, a lot of us want to pray more. We want to study the Bible more, but until we take an action step, we don't actually see those changes in our lives. But I've found when I put community around it, when I put other like-minded people around it, and some of the most amazing women from around the world, it is so rich. And we are already growing together in community and friendship, but also in our understanding of the Bible and our habits in prayer. So all of the details are in the show notes or in the description below. Again, membership closes May 15th. I would love to to have that time with you and get to know you more. Back to Mary and Martha. So we start, I'm going to take us through three different points in the gospels where Jesus encounters Mary and Martha. And mostly we're going to see Mary's, uh, no, excuse me. We're going to see, okay. I am going to get their names confused this whole time. So I want to warn you, you have to listen carefully. I might say Martha and mean Mary. I might say Mary and mean Martha, but hopefully you'll know what I mean. Mary's the one sitting at Jesus's feet. Martha's the one scurrying around and we're going to see Martha go on a journey here in our three different stops in the gospels. And it's fascinating what the Lord does in her heart. So we're going to start the very first interaction recorded, but it looks like Jesus was friends with this family and made several stops, um, throughout his teaching pilgrimages. And so you'll see a level of familiarity here, but we pick it up in Luke 10. Uh, this is kind of the first instance in the gospels that's recorded of Jesus encountering the family. So this is Luke 10, 38 to 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Or indeed, right now, there's only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So first, I feel like we need to validate Martha, okay? Because she really wasn't doing anything wrong. I mean, maybe correcting her sister and correcting Jesus in front of the whole group, like, probably wasn't a good idea, but really she was doing what was expected of her. And so the, the woman's role, especially in this time, um, in Palestine, when they're under Roman rule, the woman's role was largely in the home. And so they were very segregated and they're like their, their main social activities would have been going to synagogue, maybe attending a wedding here and there, funerals, or visiting relatives. That was kind of it. So when rabbis were traveling through, which was very common for them to have seasons of travel where they would go around from village to village teaching, it was actually an honor to host a visiting rabbi. So this actually would have been a highlight for just not only to have this social interaction, to have this opportunity to host, but then of course, it's Jesus. So this really is a big deal. And their home, Martha and Mary's home, would have been on the pilgrimage route between Galilee, which was in the north, and then Jerusalem, which was in the south. I believe it's like 17 miles apart, which is pretty long if you're walking, but going 
you were going down from Galilee to Jerusalem. So even as Jesus and his entourage were making their way down to Martha and Mary's home, they would have been on these steep, um, steep rock paths that were like goat paths or sheep paths that maybe only one or two of them could walk side by side. And so you can kind of imagine uh, the disciples kind of jockeying for position to be closest to Jesus so that they could be asking him questions and learning from him while their calves are aching, their feet are throbbing, the sun is beating down on their head, and all they can think about is getting to Martha's house for a good meal and a cold something to drink. And so uh, you can kind of like imagine there. And Mary, we see that she had this passion for learning. And so you can imagine that she may have run to greet the disciples and, and asked, hey, what was he talking about? And again, this is some of the content that I'm getting from this book, Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus, kind of painting this picture of the historical context here. And it could even be that Mary had the opportunity to even go to the synagogue and sit in the back and listen to some of the teachers. And after dinner, after all of her household responsibilities were done, maybe she would get to kind of engage on the side in some of these conversations uh, with the disciples of the traveling rabbis. Now, another really interesting point here is that it's suggested that it was actually Martha's home. And so it says that Martha opened her home to Jesus and the disciples. And so this implies that she was probably not married and that perhaps their parents had passed away and the home had been left to Martha. Also, we know that it was big enough to host this entourage of people. So it could be actually that they were wealthy. And we do see this in the New Testament where you do see some women as heads of households, of heads of businesses, and Jesus isn't offended by that. Even Mary is taking her place at the feet of Jesus as a disciple. Now that would have been scandalous to other rabbis and the tradition of the day, but you'll see that Jesus doesn't rebuke her. And I just think this is beautiful that Jesus is constantly turning the cultural norms upside down and he's constantly giving acceptance to who would have been the least of these. And so it's a beautiful picture. He's not rebuking Mary for sitting and, and um, being seated as a disciple, but actually he honors her. He says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but few are needed. Or indeed only one Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. The other, the last thing I want to point out here is just the love in Jesus's voice. You know, it's not so much that he's correcting her or putting her in her place, but that he's like, oh, Martha, like you're actually doing exactly what's expected of you. And I just always try to imagine when I'm reading the gospels, just the love and the compassion that would have been in Jesus's voice. Like he knew the weight of the responsibility that Martha felt and he understand, understood her snapping. Hey, this could easily be me. Like we just hosted Easter here for like 30 people. And I, maybe you've experienced that where you're like serving and getting ready and, and getting everything put out and you've already cleaned the house and gotten all the groceries and prepared all the food. And by the time everybody's there, you kind of get to that point where you're like, will somebody just help me, please? And so you can understand why Martha is feeling this way, but Jesus is so gracious toward her. So the thing that I want to point out in this story is the trap of distraction. So yes, Martha is doing exactly what is expected of her. And every day you and I are doing 
exactly what's expected of us. We have to get up in the morning. (laughs) Many of us have to go to work or we have to get kids to school or we have to care for an aging loved one or we have to get to our own medical appointments. There are many things that we have to do and that are expected of us every single day. And then, I don't know, this has been coming across my path so much. So many women that I know are like, and then I have to cook dinner. If somebody else would just please cook dinner, I will do anything. I I would, or if they would just, I hear this a lot too, if they would just tell me what to cook for dinner, which is how I feel. And so we have to do all of these things. But what happens in those have to do's is there's distraction. And it said, Martha was distracted by all of the preparations that had to be made. And distracted literally means drawn away by other things. Things. And so Mary had the presence of mind in the moment to know what the responsibilities were, know what had to be done, but to choose the better thing. And I think this is the challenge for us today. I mean, imagine Martha back in the day being distracted, no social media, a very small social circle. We just, we read earlier that the, the Palestinian woman's you know, place would have been largely in the home. Her social circle would have mainly been family, maybe a few close friends who live close by. And that was it. And so I just think if Martha was distracted, how much more are we distracted today? And this is where I had said, you know, earlier when I was talking about my small group, a lot of times we have to make some physical change in order to see actual change in our lives or in our spirituality. And so one thing that we have done recently is gotten a phone that only has a phone number. It's kind of like our landline. It's still a smartphone. I like that I can take pictures on it if needed, but my husband and I can put our phones away. And then we have this phone that only has like, you can call on it and you can take pictures and that's it. And people know that if it's on the weekend to call or text that phone, because then I've found, like I have tried different apps. We even have like a charging drawer in our kitchen so that the idea was our phones would go in there like at dinner time and we wouldn't be distracted. The phones still come out. If they are anywhere close or if we can hear even the buzz, we're drawn to them. We can't help it. It's habit. And And so I finally got to the point where I'm like, okay, phones go upstairs, phones go in the pantry, wherever. Here's our landline. So we know if it's an emergency, someone can get a hold of us. And, but I had to make that actual physical change in order to start to see less distraction in our lives. And another important way that we do this is the people that we surround ourselves with. So if you have an awesome church community, what a gift. If you have a small group or a Bible study, what a gift. Somehow, or again, we can meet virtually. You have to surround yourself with people who are going to support you in these changes. And again, especially we have to be more extreme like never before in order to free ourselves of these distractions so that we can be so sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And so the other thing that you kind of see happen here a little bit too, when we start to feel that kind of like overwhelmed feeling is Martha is saying, Lord, don't you care? Like, don't you care about me? 
I'm the one who's overworked here right now. I'm the one who cleaned the house, got the groceries, cooked the food, put all of the candy in the Easter eggs, got someone else to hide them for me and made Easter baskets for the kids. Oh, and got everybody dressed and out the door for church this morning. I'm the one who did that. Don't you care? And, and then she's saying, tell her to help me. Like, Think about me right now. And I've noticed that that's the other thing that distraction can do in our lives. When we're busy, overwhelmed, overtired, overburdened, overstretched, I don't know, stretched thin, our focus tends to be on ourselves. And of course it is. We're exhausted. We're just trying to get everything done. And we're like, hey, could somebody else like just lend a hand right now? And so you kind of can see how this can spiral again when all of these distractions are happening in our lives. So that was stop number one. Let's go to stop no number two, which is the next time that Jesus encounters this family. So this one, we're going to go over to John and starting in chapter 11, my heading even says the death of Lazarus. So this is Mary and Martha's brother. Um, it says now a, na a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, which we know the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. And it goes on to say the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus was far away though when he said this. And so he couldn't text them and say, guys, don't worry. This is going to be for God's glory. He's going to be fine. Right? So he's saying it to the people that are with him, but Mary and Martha wouldn't have known this. And so it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. And so, so we see here that Jesus is taking his sweet old time. And I identify most with Martha in this story. I'm kind of a type A, let's just keep things moving and make it happen kind of person. So this would infuriate me. And we see then going on. So this is John 11, starting in verse 17. We see that Jesus finally makes it. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So he, he did not rush. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you only had been here, if you had just come a little sooner, I just lost my spot. Um, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now, Martha answered, I know because the Jewish people of Martha and Mary's time had a pretty good understanding and believed in most of them, a resurrection of the dead in the final day. So she's saying, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So this would have been her theological understanding of what was going to happen. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And look at Martha. She really pulls this one out. She has done just like a 180 here. Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah the son of God who has come into this world. After this, then the story goes on and Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. However, the important point here is Martha. 
So Martha now in this moment is de- is demonstrating an incredible revelation from God. We see a very similar one uh, from Peter in Matthew when he said, when when Jesus asked him, who do you say I am? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And we know that this comes just by divine revelation, because if you think about it, so many of the religious leaders, Pharisees of the day did not see who Jesus was. They did not understand that he was the Messiah. Many of his followers didn't even understand it. But here we see Martha getting a divine revelation. And so This seems to be the fruit of relationship and of a heart made right. And we see that proper alignment, not being so distracted, so busy, but somehow managing to keep our responsibilities in focus, but also learning to tune our ear to the Lord and be in consistent relationship with him. That proper alignment brings revelation. That and, and what I love about this story is we don't have any reason to believe that Martha had to make these major shifts in her life. And, and I think that's true for us today. I think sometimes these are our small adjustments that we make. Maybe it is getting a landline or a phone that's distraction free for the evenings and weekends. Maybe it's joining a Bible study and taking the time that we would have spent maybe watching TV and spending that study in the Bible with others. It's one little step. For Martha, it might have just been a, a switch in her heart. But now proper alignment brings revelation. It brings understanding. It helps us to focus on others. I mean, imagine this. Martha's heart had to be so full of grief. Her brother had been in the grave for four days. But that's not what she was focused on. She didn't rebuke Jesus again, but she said, Lord, I know who you are. So it brings others focus. It brings peace. It brings faith and it brings trust. Martha said to Jesus, I know even now God will give you whatever you ask. And so this is the peace and the confidence that so many of us are looking for today, especially when the world is feeling crazy. And we're trying to understand why things are happening the way they are. And so we see that there is this place of peace and trust that we can live from, even when in the natural, our brother has been in the grave for four days. But in the supernatural and in our relationship with Jesus, he can do anything. And there is a place of peace and trust in him. Now, stop number three. The last stop of Mary and Martha, is when Jesus was anointed at Bethany. Now, this is probably the most confounding part of these stories because this is a, this is an account that is in all four of the Gospels. Very few things are in all four Gospels, just like a handful. Each account is a little bit different of this, of Jesus's feet being anointed with perfume or oil. And this one is John very specifically says that it's Martha and Mary. In another account, it's it's an unnamed sinful woman. And then we have two other accounts where the, the woman is not named or identified. And so it could be that each of the gospel writers is taking real events that happened in the life of Jesus and all of their time together, but using them and putting them in order to fit their 
theological purpose in writing their book. So each book is written to a different group of people. And so John here is bringing us full circle, full circle on the story of Martha and Mary. And we're going to land in a really beautiful place on this one. And so I appreciate that he does that. <laughs> and so this is John 12. Again, my heading says Jesus anointed at Bethany. Verse one, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus's honor. So once again, Martha and Mary are busy with all of the preparations. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus's feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the, the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objective. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but he wanted the money for himself. And then verse 7, here's what Jesus says. Leave her alone. Jesus replied, it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So here we see, rather than being seated at the feet of Jesus as a disciple, Mary is stationed there as a worshiper. And we see this incredible picture of Martha and Mary together. And we see that Martha seems to be have been humbled and she is lovingly serving Jesus while Mary is worshiping at his feet with, again, a divine revelation of who he is and where he was going. Again, even the disciples struggled to understand the events that were unfolding right before his death. So Mary is developed, is demonstrating a divine understanding of the day and hour that Jesus is in. And so together we see that Mary is in a posture of worship and Martha is in a posture of service. And these two things seem to be celebrated together. And so what a beautiful picture for us that we are to be worshipers. We are to be seeking Jesus wholeheartedly. He is so worthy of our love, of our affection, of our time and our energy and our worship. He is so worthy of us lavishing. I mean, this was one year's wages was the value of this perfume. This was extremely costly. It may have even been given to Mary by her parents in preparation for her own wedding. And so she is lavishing Jesus with worship. And Martha is serving, but with a heart of honor and trust and peace and love. And you could say that wherever we serve, wherever we open our home, wherever we demonstrate hospitality, there Jesus is. The last part I want to point out is, again, from this book, Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus. The other incredible thing that Mary was demonstrating as she was anointing Jesus's feet with perfume is she was understanding who he was as Messiah and King. And so imagine this. When Jesus went about the next six days leading up to his resurrection, he actually would have had that fragrance on him the entire time. And the reason this is meaningful is because what kings did 
back like in Old Testament times or even in Jesus's day, they would, they would have this processional coming into a town and they would actually soak their clothes in scented perfumes or oils. And so actually as they're passing by the people, they would have this fragrance of royalty and you would know that this is a king. And so when Mary anoints the feet of Jesus with this potent perfume, as he went about the next several days leading up to his resurrection on the cross, he would have had the fragrance of royalty or of a king. And imagine how confounding that might have been. For example, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when all of the um, the Romans are coming to take him captive, and they're they're treating him like a thief, or and, and like uh, I don't have the words, but they're treating him that way. But they're they're smelling the scent of royalty. Imagine what that would have been like. Imagine just being in Jesus's presence in the first place. They knew there was something different about him. And then they're trying to take him captive, but then they're, they're smelling the scent. And so you can imagine just the confusion, but also how anointed that whole time was. And Mary and Martha had a divine understanding of this. And so today I find encouragement for us not only to sit at the feet of Jesus, to learn about him, to learn his ways, uh, to worship him, to pray, to love him, but also to serve others. And again, I love this about my, my Indian family. I just love, I remember when uh, Princeton's mom and dad stayed with us shortly after our wedding and I got really good with the rice maker. His mom would make, you know, curry or whatever. And then I would help with the rice and, and just setting the table and everything. And I got really good at sensing when they needed more rice or more curd or, you know, just getting up and getting those things for them. And I, and I really loved it. I, I think there, there is joy in serving. Again, when we're not pulled in too many directions, when we're not feeling so distracted by the word world, there's a lot of joy in serving. And so I think the invitation today is what are the distractions that we can eliminate right now? What's one physical or practical step that I can take? Can I take apps off of my phone? Can I leave the phone in the other room? Can I join a Bible study or a small group? Can I join a prayer group? Even if it is virtual, or I know some churches even do, like we do a Zoom prayer meeting. You know, there's so many creative ways, even if you're homebound or, or low on energy right now, so many creative ways to serve. And so, um, that's my encouragement for you today. And I love seeing just a little bit different spin on Martha and Mary. Like poor Mary, Martha isn't just being rebuked by Jesus the whole time, but you see this beautiful invitation into knowing the moment, you know, avoiding some of the distractions and being so near and drawn to him. So Father, we thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you for this lesson. Lord, thank you for your tenderness. Thank you for the love in your eyes the mercy and the care that you have for us, Lord, that you're not up there shaking your finger at us. Lord, you're not even upset with us, but rather you're inviting us. You're encouraging us. You're asking us to come closer, to set down some of the distractions and the demands of the world, to look for ways to simplify and be less distracted, that we might sit at your feet, Lord that we would look forward to that time, that we would yearn for that connection with you. So Lord, draw us nearer. Help us to be disciplined, Lord, and help us to seek you above all else. So I bless each one of us now in Jesus' name. Amen.